From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. Congress is moving quickly toward repealing another major provision of the 2010 health care law, following the House vote 419 to 6 to scrap the so-called Cadillac tax on high-cost health insurance plans. If the Senate follows suit and President Donald Trump agrees, it will mark the second major Obamacare provision that Congress has dispensed with. Both the Cadillac tax and that other provision, the mandate that everyone buy insurance, were the two most important parts of the law aimed at restraining the growth in health care costs. Congress's willingness to give up on cost controls alarms Josh Gordon, the policy director at the Concord Coalition, an advocacy group that lobbies for responsible budgeting. He's here today. And later, CQ Roll Call healthcare reporter Mary Ellen McIntyre will tell us how this vote came about. Welcome, Josh. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. So, Josh, can you explain for our lit- listeners what is the Cadillac tax? The Cadillac tax is a tax on high-cost health insurance plans. And they're called Cadillac because they're really good plans. They're plans that anyone would want to have because they cover everything. Well, they don't cover everything, but they're the kind of the gold standard of employer-provided health insurance plans. Certainly when the Affordable Care Act was written, they were. And we can talk about why maybe that's not yeah. as true today as it was um, almost 10 years ago when the ACA was passed. And why is it good policy to levy a tax on these plans? It's good policy because this tax is actually not exactly a tax. Uh, What it really is, is a way to, through the back door, restrict the subsidy that the tax code gives on all employer-provided health insurance. Um, it's It's a very unique situation where when we get health insurance from our employer, uh, we get that tax-free. It's compensation, but if it was wages, it would be taxed. Because it's healthcare, it's not taxed. And the employer also doesn't pay tax on that compensation. So it's a way to give us um, health insurance that the tax code subsidizes. And for a long time, health economists and other economists have pointed to this as one of the reasons why uh, we have higher healthcare costs than other countries. Okay, so explain that. Uh, growth in healthcare costs is a big problem. Why does uh, why do employers that offer really generous plans, um, you know, that cover a lot of things, that don't have uh, copays, that don't have deductibles, why is that something that contributes to rising healthcare costs? Uh, and it can contribute to rising healthcare costs in at least two ways uh, that I think about. One is that whenever we have more generous health insurance, we spend more on healthcare because there's less restraint on us, the patient or the employee, uh, when we think about going to the doctor uh, to have something looked at and then when we decide uh, or with our doctors on what that treatment is. Because we're less cost sensitive to those choices, we tend to spend more. Uh, But the, the theory behind the Cadillac tax was also that because businesses are this large provider of health insurance, and because they get such a large subsidy, they too don't really concern themselves with healthcare costs. And the idea behind the Cadillac tax was to have employers also start to think about how to lower healthcare costs and how to be, be, make better healthcare 
choices. It strikes me as kind of a dilemma. I mean, on the one hand, we want people to go to the doctor and get preventative care, um, the idea being, you know, catch something early before it becomes a big problem, and that will lower costs theoretically in the long run. But on the other hand, we don't want people going in for every little thing, you know, overusing the system, getting it, uh, taking up doctor's time when it would be better spent elsewhere. So it's, it, is a, it is a tough balance, is it not? It is a tough balance, and, and I think one of the things that's happened over the last maybe 10 to 15 years is a rethinking about this in that uh, maybe we should think more clearly about incentives for high-value, low-cost care. Uh, and one of, that, one of the ways to do that would be um, to have a, a more targeted thinking about how much patients should be uh, responsible for and have that be tied to the value of the care that they choose. So we would make it less costly to do things like um, have our uh, sugar levels checked if we're diabetic, uh, less costly to um, take uh, medicines that can maintain a chronic condition instead of lead us to the hospital, but then charge higher cost sharing or make us more responsible for that care that is of lower value. Um, and what uh, the health insurance subsidy does in general is kind of ignore that and just throws a lot of money at the problem and, and doesn't have this discerning effect. Now, the reason that the House moved so decisively to repeal this tax is because uh, employees who have these Cadillac plans uh, are happy about that. They like having these very generous plans. But economists say that doing away with them or discouraging them wouldn't necessarily hurt those employees that they might receive extra cash compensation with a lesser health care plan. That's the idea, right? Yeah, that that is uh, what economists think, what the Congressional Budget Office thinks, and really how um, a lot of people have been thinking about this problem for a long time. One of the things that really is hard for people to understand, and a lot of people don't believe it, but almost all economists believe it, is that employers devote a fixed share of their revenue to their employees. Whether employers are spending that on wages or on health insurance uh, doesn't really matter to them. Um, they'll devote that portion to the employee. So if the employee um, gets less generous health insurance, chances are they will get higher wages. And one of the things the Congressional Budget Office shows is that the revenue from this Cadillac tax wasn't just because of its punitive nature on high-cost insurance plans. It was because employees would be making so much more in wages that the regular income tax on those wages was going to raise a fair amount of revenue uh, for the government. Oh, interesting, interesting. Um, so the other piece that of the Obamacare that was repealed in the 2017 tax law was the individual mandate, the requirement that everyone have insurance. And that was also thought to be a cost reducer because you'd have a bigger pool of people. Um, and so the overall cost of health insurance would go down because you'd have more healthy people in the marketplace. So take that away. Take the Cadillac tax away. Is Obamacare doing much at all to restrain the growth in healthcare costs? That's a that's a tricky question. I would say the Cadillac tax uh, is much more important over the long term uh, when we think about lowering healthcare costs as opposed to the uh, mandate. And so, as you've noted in your blog, 
the Affordable Care Act never would have passed had it not included this tax. What what was the legislative history here? Well, uh, I like to say that the addition of the Cadillac tax was the single most important turning point in paving the way for the Affordable Care Act to get passed. Uh, there was a time where the Senate was considering their initial bill, which ultimately became the Affordable Care Act, and a lot of um, more moderate to conservative Democrats were very concerned about the cost of this legislation. And there was kind of a play back and forth between uh, the Senate uh, committee chairman Conrad and the Congressional Budget Office director at the time on what they could do to lower long-term health care costs. And what came out of that discussion that they had in front of the cameras in this hearing was that putting some sort of cap on this employer-provided health insurance was really the key feature that the Congressional Budget Office could actually score as lowering health care costs um, over the long term. So was that just to show? I mean, this House vote among Democrats was 230 to 3. There are a lot of moderate Democrats, fis uh, fiscally conservative Democrats in that group. Why, wouldn't, why weren't they speaking up? Um, I think to be charitable and really to also answer your last question is that we now know that there are other parts of the Affordable Care Act that have helped to uh, control health care costs and that have the potential over the long term to further help control health care costs. So I, I think the fact that over the last 10 years, health care costs have actually slowed in their growth relative to where they were projected to be before, that's taken some of the pressure off the Cadillac tax um, to do uh, the job that it was originally intended to do. I think you probably also have Democrats getting more liberal uh, as a party since that time. Um, and so they're more reticent to have this tax, which is one of uh, the few um, pretty regressive taxes that are still hated by almost all liberal Democrats, mainly because employees have fought for these health insurance uh, contracts, especially through bargaining through unions who never liked the tax. And it was one of the really difficult pills for unions to swallow in order to get on board with the ACA in the first place. And over time, they've delayed this tax uh, basically three times. Right. It's never actually taken effect. Exactly. That's important to say. And, and so I think the, the political situation was just ripe for uh, the Democrats to kind of turn on the tax. Uh, and of course, the Republicans have always been eager to eliminate any tax they could, especially one tied to the Affordable Care Act. And, and that's what led to the really kind of lopsided vote uh, in the House. So the Congressional Budget Office says that repealing this tax is going to cost almost $200 billion over 10 years. The House doesn't propose to uh, implement a new tax or make spending cuts elsewhere to pay for it. How big a hole is that in budgetary terms? Uh, over 10 years, uh, I mean, $200 billion is a lot of money to uh, you and I, uh, but the deficit over the next 10 years is going to be something about uh, $12 trillion. Uh, so in that sense, I, I guess it's not a huge amount. What, what really is important is what happens over the long term. A lot of the CBO longer-term budget projections assume that this Cadillac tax will be in place, and so it holds healthcare costs down lower than it would be otherwise. So the long-term budget outlook, I think, gets much uh, worse um, uh, relative to just what happens over the short term. One thing I should add is that there are many ways to restrict um, the tax break for employer-provided health insurance. It doesn't have to be done through a Cadillac tax. So 
what really Congress should have done if they didn't like this Cadillac tax and how it was going to be implemented and maybe unions didn't like it for a specific reason is that over the long term, you can think of other ways to claw back this healthcare exclusion that also limits the exclusion, limits long-term healthcare costs, but might provide a smoother transition for employers and employees on union plans or uh, people that have higher cost health insurance. They, they could have replaced this with something as effective or really more effective, but instead they're just getting rid of it entirely and kind of throwing up their hands, which is uh, really a shame. Josh Gordon, thank you for coming on our show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're listening to CQ on Congress. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast app. I'm going to turn now to CQ healthcare reporter Mary Ellen McIntyre, who covered the House vote to repeal the Cadillac tax. So, Mel, the House is controlled by Democrats, and Democratic representatives voted 230 to 3 to repeal the tax. This was part of Obamacare, part of the, their big accomplishment during the Obama years. What's going on here? Yeah, so the tax was one of the main ways that Obamacare was financed back when it was passed in 2010. But the tax itself has always sort of had bipartisan support for repealing it. This tax has never taken effect. There's always been bipartisan support to delay its effect. And this is something that a lot of Democrats and Republicans have long had an interest in repealing. The lead sponsor of this bill has always been um, Joe Courtney, a Democrat from Connecticut. So there's been a lot of interest. One of the things that's, I think, really key to Democratic Democrats rallying around repealing this tax is that a lot of union health plans um, would be taxed under this Bill. So, you know, a lot of union members historically have supported Democrats. There's a lot of support here for making sure that those union members aren't affected by this tax. And, and insurers are against it, too. They've been pushing for a yes, repeal. Yes, insurers and unions have really been the driving force behind repealing for this tax. Right. Notably, the insurance industry, a lot of it is still based in the state of Connecticut, uh, where the main sponsor, Joe Courtney, is from. Was there anyone, Mel, making the case that the tax is good policy or that we shouldn't be adding to the deficit here without offsetting this big bill, which would come in if we don't have the tax. Yeah, this bill costs, this uh, Congressional Budget Office said that this bill was going to cost 200, almost $200 billion to repeal this tax. So that's a lot of money. You had a lot of economists on both sides of the aisle and people, groups that care a lot about the deficit. So I t spoke to folks at um, the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, and they said, you know, not only is this policy good at containing health care costs and trying to drive those costs down, it's one of the most effective ways that we have to do that. Also, you know, blasting a whole, big hole in the, the budget right now. Right. But what about people on the Hill? I mean, were there any members, uh, were any of these six who voted no, you know, making a case? Yeah, I mean, you have these six members. You have newly independent, formerly Republican Justin Amash, two other Republicans um, and three Democrats. The Republicans notably are very conservative members and then actually three moderate Democrats who voted against this. And I think you're really seeing a concern about budget deficits here, but this was really drowned out by the debate over this bill was a lot of very congratulatory, very, we've done something bipartisan here that's pretty rare in the House. Interesting. So there wasn't a vigorous debate on the Hill. It was more rah-rah. Yes, agreed, definitely. Okay. And I think it's also worth noting here that, I mean, the vote here was overwhelming. This was also a bill that could have been brought up on this new consensus calendar, which has been created this year to, to promote bipartisan bills, which meant it had what? I mean, uh, more than 290 co-sponsors? So, something like 
more than 80% of the House was supportive of this bill and a co-sponsor of this bill. So this was really something that had strong support from every angle of the House. Um, the Ways and Means Committee, had they wanted to slow walk this, could have marked it up and then not brought it to the floor. Instead, um, House leaders decided to put it on the suspension calendar. Okay. So what's the prognosis going forward? It still has to get through the Senate. Yeah. So it's sort of not clear whether or not the Senate will take this up. They did put it on their calendar, but that doesn't really mean much in terms of scheduling a vote. Finance Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley told me, you know, this isn't coming into place until 2022. You know, that might not be something right on our radar for this year. But this past week, um, South Dakota Senator John Thune, the number two Republican in the House, said that it might be something that could add on to a tax extender bill or something this year. So we'll see. And I, I think the bill is sponsored in the Senate by Martin Heinrich. He's yes. a Democrat from New Mexico. And it's got also a lot of bipartisan co-sponsors. Yes, it has a lot of bipartisan support there as well. So we'll see whether or not this comes to the floor. OK, Mel, we look forward to your future coverage. Thank Thanks. you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. That does it for us today. The producers of this show are Tula Vlahu, Michaela Rodriguez, and Meredith Roten. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate us.